Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. What was it that captured the excitement of the Magi when they saw the star over Bethlehem? Robert Quintana brings insight into this little understood story and what we can learn from them in part three of Captured by the Wonder. A few weeks ago, I asked a 10-year-old if they knew what the meaning of Christmas, what the true meaning of Christmas is. And she said to me, yes. I said, well, what's that? She said, family and love. Well, yeah, all right. Well, that's a great reason to celebrate. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but that's not the real reason we celebrate Christmas. And I said, is there, is there any other reason why we celebrate Christmas? Why is this season so important to us? Why is it special? She kind of thought for a little bit and she said, presents. I said, well, yeah, presents is a great reason to celebrate. You know, I like presents too, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but that's not the real reason we celebrate Christmas. And so I said to her, I said, uh, I said, does Bethlehem mean anything to you? And she goes, Bethlehem, what? No? I said, okay, so you've never heard of Bethlehem. Um, I said, how about the shepherds and the magi? No. I said, okay. Um, I said, the nativity scene? Do you, have you seen nativity scenes around town? And she goes, no. I said, okay. Um, I said, um, I said the, does baby Jesus mean anything, mean anything to you? And she goes, oh, yeah, baby Jesus. I've heard of him. And I thought to myself, man, what kind of world are we living in? And it seems like this season, this time of celebration, we oftentimes just fly right through it without taking time to really focus and meditate on what makes Christmas Christmas. And I know that for most of us here, we understand that Christmas is about the birth of Christ. Now, we don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. You know, if if we were to break it down, he was probably born sometime in the fall, maybe October. But this is the day that we've chosen to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so this is a day that we all come together and and we, we say, this is the miracle, the love of a God for humanity that Emmanuel, God with us, he comes And he puts on human flesh and he's born into this world for the purpose of dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And that's reason to celebrate. And so that's why I've entitled this sermon series, Captured by the Wonder. Because what I want to do is not just go through this season, flying through this season with a long checklist of things to do. And you know, you're going through the week, check, check, check. I bought that gift. I bought that roast. I bought that check, check, check. And I need to clean this. I need to do that. And make it through the season without really focusing on why it is that we celebrate Christmas. So I've entitled it Captured by the Wonder because I want to take time to slow down and look at the story 
the birth story of Christ and maybe look at some of the details, maybe look at some of the things that we don't always focus on, but maybe by looking at some of the details and maybe revisiting some of these stories, we can once again be captured by the wonder that is the birth story of Jesus Christ, of our Lord and Savior. And you might remember part two, we talked about Joseph and Mary's journey after they found out that they were pregnant, after she knew that she was pregnant, and after Joseph accepted that she was pregnant and that she hadn't committed adultery, that was, she wasn't unfaithful. And then the angel came to them and said, um, you know, it, it's, it's Jesus. You need to name him Jesus. And after all that took place, the census was taking place. And now they had to journey down to Bethlehem. Do you remember how long it was for them to journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, 70 miles, 70 miles to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You see, sometimes we, we don't focus on those kind of things. We just kind of say, oh, cute, they had to journey to Bethlehem because they had to register down there. But we don't stop to think, whoa, wait a second, 70 miles, nine months pregnant? That's a long ways to go. But they did the journey. And then I also said that from Bethlehem to Egypt, which they were instructed to go, does anybody remember how far that was? 230 miles to go from Bethlehem to Egypt. That's a long ways. That journey definitely took at least two months, three months, several months to journey to Egypt. And you see, when you look at the details, when you take time to stop and start putting the pieces together of this story, all of a sudden you're captured by the wonder that is the birth story of Christ. And today we're going to take a look at yet another story. Now I have to admit, what we're going to look at today we do not know much about. In fact, the book of Matthew is the only one that mentions it and doesn't mention much about them. And so a lot of what we know about the wise men or the magi is speculation, assumptions, things that we've been able to piece together from historical books and scholars that say, well, because of this, then maybe that. But we really don't know much about the wise men, but we're going to turn in just a second to Matthew chapter 2. But before we do that, let's pause and have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we humbly come before you uh, knowing that the scripture is hard to understand. I mean, it was written a long, long time ago in a different language, in a different culture. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand the things that we read. God, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to be present, to lead and to guide us. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. So I pray that as we open your word, that you make this story come to life. And that in the process, we can learn some lessons that we can apply to our day-to-day life is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Now, like I said, Matthew is the only gospel, the only disciple. He is the only one that mentions the story of the Magi or as some refer to them as the wise men. 
Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And this is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, the word there, wise men, it, in Greek is spelled M-A-G-O-I, magi, which is where we get the word magi. So technically, it should say magi there. And some of your Bibles will have a little one next to wise men or maybe a little letter. And then when you look in, in, in the cross reference or in the, in the notes at the bottom, it's going to say magi because that's the Greek word that's used there. Now, this is an interesting word. You see, because this word magi is only used a couple of times in Scripture. One time it's used in the book of Acts. And it's interpreted magicians. Another time that it's used is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Now, yes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, uses the word magi, and there it is also translated magician. So it's almost like when the translators of the King James were writing this, they didn't feel comfortable saying that magicians came from the east to visit Jesus. And so they put wise men, which isn't also, you can say, an accurate description of these men. Because you need to understand that magicians in today's day and age is a lot different than magicians back then. You see, magicians back then dealt with dreams and interpreting dreams. And they were scholars and they were philosophers. Sometimes they were, today they would say astrologers. But back then they were probably more like astronomers. But they were wise men. They were men that they were dedicated to studying scripture. They were dedicated to studying literature and trying to figure things out. So it is an accurate description that the King James translator says they were wise men because indeed they were wise men. But we need to be clear here on the word that the Greek uses, that Matthew uses. But then notice it says that they were from the east. Well, that really doesn't help us. Like, come on, Matthew, can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, I live west of here. Well, what does that mean? That can be Middletown. That can be Hagerstown. I mean, what does that mean? I live west. That can mean Kansas. Maybe California. I live west of here. He wasn't very specific here. Now, as we read the story, later down in the story, I'm going to share with you what I believe they were from. Because there is some pretty interesting um, keys, pieces out there that you can kind of piece together. It's not biblical. I'm telling you, it's not biblical. It's not in the written story here. But you can kind of piece things together and say, oh, man, that would be cool if that's the case. But let's keep on reading. Verse 2, it says, saying, where is he who has seen his star in the east and have come to worship him? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
and all Jerusalem with him. How can this be? What are you talking about? That there is one that can possibly threaten my kingship? Herod did not like this news. He was not happy about this. In verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In other words, Herod heard what the wise men were looking for, what the magi were looking for. And he says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. There is a king that is being born in my territory. I can't have that. And so he calls the priests, he calls the scribes, and he says, what are these wise men talking about? What are they referring to? You need to find me where they get this information. And so they go back and they start reading the scriptures and they come back, right? And here in verse 5, it says, So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so they go to the Old Testament. They're going through the Old Testament writings and there in the book of Micah, they find this prophecy that out of Bethlehem shall come this ruler. And so now Herod knows where this king child was born. And so this is what he says to the Magi. In verse 7, it says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now we all know that that's not the real reason why Herod wanted to know where Jesus was born. We know from later in the story that his intent all along was to kill this child that potentially was threatening my rulership here in Bethlehem in this reason. So in this region, so he tells the wise men, "Look, go find them. Have at it." You have access to my entire kingdom. Go look for him. And when you find him, come back and let me know where he's at so that I too can worship him. Now, these men from the east, isn't that a bit intriguing? These men from the east, I mean, where were they from? I mean, I mean, the east covers a pretty large area. So where were they from? In my research, as I was reading page after page and, you know, historian after historian, this is the one that I want to share with you because it's the one that I like the most. Now, I can't tell you for sure that this is what really happened. I'm just telling you, when I came upon this, I was like, oh, this is the one I'm going to believe in. Until I'm taught differently, until I'm told different, this is the one I like, right? But if you think about it, it kind of makes a little sense, right? You might remember that a long, long time ago, way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Babylon came into Israel and took many captive. Now, guess what's east of Israel? 
Babylon. Now you also might remember that there were several young men that were taken captive from Israel at that time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those names? And there was another very important character in the Old Testament that was taken captive into Babylon. Who was that? Daniel. And now we know that Daniel, by their terminology, could have been referred to as a magi because he was an interpreter of dreams. He had visions. He was a scholar as well. Now we know that he left a pretty considerable mark in Babylon. He rose to be pretty high up there in the ranks of Babylon and that he was admired by many. And Daniel also wrote the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, he outlined prophecy after prophecy, one of which tells us the approximate date of Christ's birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So could it be, could it be that the region that they were from was from Persia because we know that the Medes and the Persians had now conquered Babylon and we know that Daniel obviously passed away and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they passed away, but that their legacy remained and that their writings remained and they're in Persia, a country far off to the east of Israel, these writings were still in existence. And maybe these, like, um, generations later, these descendants, these maybe disciples of this great magi, Daniel, wrote these prophecies, and maybe, maybe Daniel knew what he was talking about. Now, isn't that a neat story? And now you can see why I chose to believe that the reason why these wise men knew that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem was because of Daniel and his influence that he had in Babylon and consequently in the Persian Empire. But if this is true, then we can now say that the Magi, oh, and by the way, we're talking about modern-day Iran or Iraq. So knowing that, right? Knowing that, we now know that these wise men, these magi, traveled close to 800 miles to Bethlehem. Ain't that unbelievable? You know, we often, you know, we see the nativity scene, right? And, and we see Mary and Joseph and, and we see the child Jesus, right? We don't think that, man, they just traveled 70 miles to get there. And then, of course, we see all the shepherds surrounding. They were told by the angels in the field and then they come and they're worshiping. And then usually in the nativity scene, we have three magi, Right? They just traveled 800 miles to get there, but not really, you see, because they weren't really at the manger in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Traditionally, we put him there, maybe because we like to see him all together in one place, right? 
But if you follow the Bible story, it really is impossible that the Magi were there with the shepherds when Jesus was born. And we're going to read that here in just a second. There's another point that I want to just bring out real quickly is that we always think of three. But the Bible doesn't tell us that there were three. The Bible just says wise men. There were Magi, plural. So we know that there were at least two. But as some reports... Some historians, there could have been as many as 12. Were they traveling alone? We don't know. Did they have a caravan, servants, their family? Were were they all traveling together? We don't know. We know that there were at least two. There could have been a dozen. We have no idea. The reason why we always think of three, do you know why? It's because there were three gifts. The gold, the frankincense, and the mirth. And so we always, you know, when we ever portray them, whenever we have a drama, you know, we need one person to carry each gift, right? So we need three magi, at least three magi. You carry the gold, you carry the frankincense, you carry the mirth. We need three. And so three, 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 and that's all we have. But when you look at paintings, old paintings, some painters have put two magi, Some have put seven, some have put more, but we really don't know how many there were. But let's continue reading the story here because it's so fascinating. It gets so good. It says here, we'll we'll read verse nine again. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And it says here, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the, what does it say? House, not stable. You see, when they came into the house, they saw the young child. Notice the Bible doesn't say infant. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and mirth. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Well, here we read that the wise men, these magis, they came to visit the young child Jesus in a house, not a stable. And see, if you, if you put things together, if you start piecing it together, you can deduct that they visited Jesus sometime after 40 days of Jesus having been born and before two years, okay? Let me just explain this to you. We know that Jesus, as Jewish custom, on the eighth day went and was circumcised. That was on the eighth day. And then we know through scripture that like Jewish tradition, on the 40th day, he was dedicated at the temple. You might remember this when Simeon held him up and says, behold, I can now die in peace. You remember that? That took place on the 40th day. Now, this is why we know that the Magi visited them after the 40th day, after the dedication in verse Um, 13, it says this, or let's read verse 12 again. 
Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So it was immediately after the Magi's visit that they departed for Egypt. Well, obviously, they couldn't have had the dedication there in Jerusalem if they had departed to Egypt. And so that's why we can um, pretty accurately say that the Magi appeared at the house. So you can deduct that after the birth of Christ, after Jesus was born in a stable, and after all the census stuff was taken care of and people started to go back to their own lands, to their own regions, you know, that Bethlehem kind of came back to its own little town there on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and now there was more room. Maybe they found uh, an acquaintance or maybe a friend or maybe they heard of a house for rent or maybe somebody put them up in their house. And so from the stable, they went to this home. We don't know whose home or what home. We don't know if they were renting or staying. We just don't know, but we know that they went to a house. The eighth day, Christ was circumcised. On the 40th day, he was dedicated at the temple. And then sometime after that, the Magi came to the house and they worshiped. And that very night, after the Magi left, that very night, Joseph receives a dream. It's time to go to Egypt. And so that very night, they leave for Egypt. But fascinating. Fascinating when you, when you start looking at the pieces, when, when you start studying, when you start digging a little bit deeper, the kind of details that you find about these men and who they were. And you know, as I was reading um, these stories and I w- as I was just trying to put my mind uh, um, in that place, as I was trying to put myself in their place, trying to, trying to think, you know, what did they experience? You know, what did they go through? You know, can you imagine traveling 800 miles and then you finally get to Jerusalem and and you go to the king and you say, you know, where is this king that's supposed to be born? Where, Where is this king that was supposed to be born? We've been following this star. And everybody's like, huh? Well, what are you talking about? We have no idea what you're talking. He says, no, no, no. We've been studying the scriptures. We've been studying the prophecies. It's supposed to be happening right now. What are you talking about? And I don't know, but could it be the same of us? You know that we're just kind of living in la-la land. We're just going through our day, not worried about what Christ has written, what God has put down in his word for us to know and to be prepared for the end of time. And we're just kind of floating through life with not a care in the world. And maybe someday and someday soon, somebody will stand up and say, wait, it's happened. The time is now. I've seen the sign. And the majority of us will go, huh? What are you talking about? You know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that we take a page from the Magi and we start saying, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to spend a little more time in the word. Maybe it's time for me to spend a little more time studying scripture and prophecy. 
And yeah, it's hard to understand. I get that, but that's why we need to study it. That's why we need to spend time doing it because it is hard. And you know, nothing comes to us easy, but if we spend time together as a group, maybe as a church, maybe at home with a a Bible study that you put together and and maybe this is a a New Year's resolution for you, you know, we're going to start a a new, a small group Bible study at our place because we're going to study the word of God. We're going to study scripture. We want to be prepared. We don't want to be caught off guard like those, like the scribes. And we don't want to be caught off guard like King Herod. We want to take a page out of the Magi's book, you know, but here you have it. They've been studying all along and, and they show up. Can you imagine being in their place and, and showing up to Jerusalem, showing up thinking that they were going to find the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the one who has come to set his people free. And everyone's like, huh? Well, maybe, yeah, just go search. When you find them, come back. And then they, they continue their search. And then undoubtedly, they end up in this humble home. And you imagine, I mean, they're used to royalty. They're used to palaces. And they walk into this humble little home with humble, meek parents. And there is this little child. Now, what fascinates me is that they weren't just caught off guard and, you know, they, they, weren't, they, they didn't show up and say, man, this can't be Jesus. This can't be the Christ. No, 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 no. It's not big enough. It's not fancy enough. You know, there's not enough gold around. You know, the furniture in here isn't worthy of a king. This can't be him. Can you imagine if they had come in, seen that, and said, this can't be it, and then they turn around and make their 800-mile journey back? No. When they saw Jesus, the Bible says that they fell at their knees and they worshiped. Listen, I know, I know because I've been there. I know you have been there. I know you because I know me. That there are times in this journey in our search for Christ That we get to the point where we go, there has to be more. I mean, it just can't be this. You know, I mean, really? I mean, is this really all that there is? You know, maybe you've given your life to Christ recently. You were baptized two years ago, and now you've been in the church long enough to realize, whoa, wait a second, that place is full of sinners. There's issues. And you're thinking to yourself, is this it? There has to be more. Listen, can I just encourage you to take a page out of the Magi and don't run away. Don't run away. Because even though this place is full of sinners, I'm telling you, Jesus can be found here. I'm telling you that Jesus is here. And that we don't need to be caught up with all the glimmer and, and we don't need to be caught up with all the lights and we don't need to think of, of, of it being this big, awesome thing. I don't think that God would want us to fall for that because what God wants for us is much greater than the show. It's much greater than the lights. 
much greater than the programs and the performances. It's much greater than that. But the Magi recognized that. And they fell at his feet and they worshipped. You know, for several years, I have been searching for a portable vacuum that can clean my stairs. Seriously. I've gone through half a dozen. You know, I hate carrying, you know, this clunky, you know, awkward, heavy vacuum, you know, from stair to stair. You know, I just hate that. And then the attachments. Why do they even include attachments? They don't work. You know, you pull the attachment, it doesn't work, so you put the attachment back in, and, and here you are, you know, you're trying to, you know, clean the stairs. So there has to be something out there, right? And so you go and you buy these handheld, portable little vacuums, and, and you go and, and you start sweeping, and it's like, it doesn't work. So you end up picking up the trash and feeding it. <laughs> Am I the only one? I mean, these things are useless. You know, half of them have ended up in the trash, the other half at Goodwill, right? I mean, they're just, just useless, right? Well, I want clean stairs. And clean stairs, in my opinion, is something worth fighting for. There are things in life worth fighting for. There are things in life, some things in life aren't worth fighting for. But there are things in life that are worth fighting for. And you know, sometimes we're faced with both of those at the same time. Sometimes we're faced with something that's worth fighting for, something that's not worth fighting for, and it's right there, right in front of us at the same time. Let me give you an example. It is worth fighting for patience. It's not worth fighting to prove that you're right every time. But those two things are right there. And sometimes we choose to fight to prove that we're right instead of fighting for the patience that God is trying to teach us. You see, there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. There are some things that are not. You see, it is worth fighting for more time with your children. That's right. It is worth fighting for that. It is worth fighting for it. And what I mean by that, it is worth picking up the phone, humbling yourself, and picking up the phone and saying, I haven't heard from you in a while. How are you doing? And folks, I use the word fight for a reason because sometimes it feels like a fight. I mean, sometimes you're putting yourself in a position that you do not want to be in. But there are things in life that are worth fighting for. There are things in life that are not. And sometimes we fight for more time at work because we're fighting for more income from work because we're fighting for more stuff at home. And all the while we're neglecting our loved ones our spouse, our children. There are things in life worth fighting for. There are some things that are not, and sometimes we're faced with those things at the same time. Listen, I want to share with you several things that these magi, these wise men teach us that is worth fighting for. 
okay? Now, you might not think right now that these things are worth fighting for, but I, I, again, I want to take a page out of the Magi's book because they thought that this was worth fighting for. And after all, the Bible does refer to them as wise men, right? So what is it that they thought was worth fighting for? Number one, the study of God's word. It was worth fighting for years, studying, calculating, going through the records, going through the scrolls, putting this prophecy with this prophecy, trying to make sense of it all. And yes, it was a fight. Yes, it was hard. But for them, it was worth fighting for. Now, let me give you a little secret. Do you know why it's worth fighting for? In all these three instances that I'm about to give you, do you know why it's worth fighting for? You know the end result? The end result is seeing Jesus. The end result is seeing your Lord and Savior. The Magi teach us that it's worth fighting to know the word of God. Now, most of us, we don't fight for that. You know, maybe ask yourself the question, when was the last time I sat down and read a chapter of God's word? I admit, it's a fight. I'm not saying the Bible is easy to understand. It is difficult to understand. I mean, come on, if we're real with each other, it was written a long time ago in a different language, completely different culture. You know how, I mean, really? How are we to make sense of it the first time we dive into it? But guess what? Understanding the word of God is worth fighting for. It's something that's worth fighting for because the end result will be that you will get to see your Savior face to face. You know, another thing that the Magi teach us that's worth fighting for is the pursuit of of knowing Jesus Christ or seeing Jesus Christ that can be accomplished, you know, through the word of God, but can be accomplished in so many other ways. But an understanding that my life, I've been put here on earth because I am pursuing Jesus Christ. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what? Pursuing Jesus is worth fighting for. Now, see, already, you're already thinking of things that come into conflict with that. Already, you're thinking, well, man, if I start pursuing Jesus, what's my family going to think? I mean, what are my friends going to think? If I start pursuing Jesus, what's that mean for work? Ask yourself, what's worth fighting for? I mean, I'm not saying that family and friends and work aren't important. But what's more important? What's really worth fighting for? And the Magi teach us that studying the word of God is worth fighting for. They also teach us that pursuing Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, that's worth fighting for. I want to show you another thing that the Magi teach us that's worth fighting for. Obeying God rather than man. Did you see that? Maybe you missed it the first time around. But you might remember that Herod said to them, when you find this Messiah, I want you to come back over here. I want you to come back and tell me where he is. 
But then it says in verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And so what happens? They were faced with a decision. Do we go back to King Herod? He wants us to go back. He is the king of this region. Or do we follow what God wants? What's worth fighting for? You know the answer. What God wants. It's worth fighting for. I'm going to obey God rather than men. I'm going to obey what God has told me, what he has instructed me. Even though it doesn't make any sense, it's worth fighting for. In other words, I'm going to obey what God wants rather than what man wants. And I'm telling you, the hardest person to fight on this is yourself, is me. It's I. Because oftentimes we're not fighting against someone else out there. Sometimes that happens, yes. Sometimes you say to yourself, you know what? The word of God says that, that the seventh day is a day that he has set aside for us to spend together, for me to take rest. And then your boss says, well, you need to come into work. Now you're faced with the dilemma. What do I do? Do I obey man or do I obey God? Now I've had people that have come into my office that say to me, in other words, what God says is worth fighting for. Can you write me a letter to my boss saying that I cannot work on Sabbath because I believe in the seventh day Sabbath? Sometimes I sit in my office and and someone says to me, Pastor Q, what am I going to do? I have to or I'll lose my job. See, you're faced with the decision, right? What are you going to do? Are you going to obey man or or are you going to obey God. And sometimes those decisions come from outside, but sometimes they come from within, right? We're battling our own will, our own desire, what we want. And we know that what God is calling us to do is different than what we want. And so there's that struggle. The Magi teach us that it is worth fighting to obey what God wants. You know why? Because at the end of the day, The result in fighting for what God wants, right, is that you see God's purpose, God's plan played out all around you. All around you. There are things worth fighting for, yeah. There are things that aren't worth fighting for. The Magi teach us that it's worth fighting to know Scripture. It's worth fighting to know Christ. It's worth fighting to obey God. There are things in life worth fighting for. (coughs) Clean stairs is one of them. (laughs) This works. (laughs) I found this one a few months ago. Heather and I were at the store, and she says, we need something to clean the stairs a little better. I said, babe, nothing works. Well, let's try again. And so, you know, I saw it, looked at the ampage. Well, yeah, it has a lot of amps. You know, maybe it will say what it says it will do and 
clean up all the marbles, the beans, the rice, you know. You always see it in commercials, right? It, it picks up whatever dirt. It doesn't matter. And then you take it home and it doesn't work. I was skeptical, I have to admit. But I said, all right, clean stairs is worth fighting for. So I bought it, took it home. And man, does it work. It works. <laughs> Why do I bring this little contraction out? Because there are things in life that are worth fighting for. There are. We oftentimes get distracted. We oftentimes fight for the wrong thing. But the Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, as you leave here today, I want you to think about what are the things in life worth fighting for? And, and it's going to happen that as you go through your day, you're going to be faced with decisions. You're going to be faced with obstacles. And you're going to be asked this question, what's worth fighting for? In moments like that, you have to pause. You have to stop. You have to say, God, I'm asking you now through the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal to me what's worth fighting for. And more than that, I need the strength. I need the wisdom to know how to go about fighting for the things that you want. Because if you do this, at the end of the day, you will have clean stairs. No. No. At the end of the day, you will have a clean heart. And that's what God wants. God wants a clean heart. And so he says to us today, I want you to start fighting for the right things in life. I want you to put self aside and start fighting for, for honor. Start fighting for respect, for patience. Start fighting for love. Start fighting for mercy. Start fighting for justice around us. You, you need to start fighting for time with your children, with your spouse. You need to start fighting for, for the word of God. You need to start fighting for the church. You need to start fighting for the principles that Jesus Christ laid before us. You need to start fighting to reveal true beauty and not this crap that we're fed day in and day out through magazines and commercials and movies. No, 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 no. We need to start fighting for what's right because in life, there are things worth fighting for. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at frederick.sdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link.